And they were living in this perfect relationship for a time. So let's look at glory just a bit. And we'll get to the fourth character here in a minute. But I want to, uh, the way I put it is, when God made Eve, he put Adam into community. It's not just husband and wife, although it is husband and wife. But it's the fact that God made us as relational creatures. He made us as relational beings that are designed to relate with him and designed to relate to others. In the context of a marriage or a family or a block or a street or a neighborhood or a town, that we're supposed to know community and that that community is designed by God to be perfect. Community existed before the fall. Community existed by God's design. And God says it's not good to be alone. So God says, hey, you're trying to do life on your own. I didn't design you to be alone. I designed you, one, to be with me. And two, I designed you to be connected in meaningful ways to other people. That you would learn what relationships look like in a life-giving, redemptive way. And you would learn what it's like to have a, a life-giving and redemptive relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's how we're designed. There's one other thing that I would throw in before we get into looking at glory. And that's what happens in Genesis 1.28. Okay, so right after he makes Adam, God has this cool moment where he says, And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Theologians call this the cultural mandate. This is where God uniquely empowers mankind to be over creation. So he's saying to Adam and Eve, hey, I created this world. You guys are to know me. You're to know each other. And you're to know the world that I've made. And I'm putting it all in your charge. I'm putting you in control of all of this. And here's the thing to remember. That was all done in perfection. Sin hadn't screwed it up yet. Pride hadn't come in. Insecurity hadn't come in. So we've got a relationship with God. We've got a relationship with others. And we have purpose and calling and work. And work was not toil. Work was God-given responsibility. Where we're actually in the world, making the world a better place, and creating and maintaining the creation as God had designed it to be. Okay? Let's talk about glory real quick. So here's a word. It's a Hebrew word called, looks like kabod, it's pronounced kabod. Now, Everyone's in Torah class. Say it with me. Good job. So, in the Bible, kavod means glory. Okay? We're going to spend just a second on this and unpack this word because this is cool and it helps us get a better understanding for what it means when God says the glory comes to me. Okay? The first definition of kavod is literal. So, a weightiness a heaviness, a weight. There's 
a, a verse in the Bible where a guy, I think it was Eli, he's sitting on the fence, he's old, he's overweight, and the Bible says that he fell back off, when he got some bad news, he fell back off the fence, and he was so heavy, he had such kavod that it broke his neck and died. So on one hand, kavod, I mean, I've got more kavod now than I did when we got married. I'm working on it. It's harder. But kavod is a weightiness. Okay? And that's a physical thing, a literal thing. It could also be a metaphorical. And so kavod could be a weighty subject or an important subject. So it's got importance. It's got reputation. Gravitas. So when I say to someone, your reputation precedes you. I'm saying, I, I know about you because of your kavod. Your kavod showed up before you. I heard about you and I said, this is a person of significance. This is a big deal today. We are all about our kavod, right? We care a lot about reputation, especially in a place like Carlton Landing. I mean, we could all get out the resumes and the CDs and really go to town showing our kavod. But God's saying that, hey, I have given you a position over creation for my glory and not for yours. But that's the metaphorical side. Kavod, and it's not all it's not all negative. Like if I if I um, I remember one time we were in Memphis, Tennessee. This is when Al Gore was vice president, and he was coming to visit Memphis. I mean to tell you, we came out of our hotel. There's a barricade up. Remember this, Jim? We wanted to just get to our car, which is across the street, but the motorcade was about to come through. We couldn't get there. It was a major deal to have the vice president of the United States in. And everyone just takes a seat and waits. We wait for 10 minutes, and then you see 10 cop cars come, and then a couple limos, and then the bulletproof Al Gore car, and all this kind of stuff. Kavod. Prominence. Prestige. Reputation. This is a person of stature. The last way that Kavod can be used is physical. There's a, a scripture where King Hezekiah, who was king of Israel, he brought someone in and he wanted to show off his wares. And so he says, hey, this is my palace. And then let's go over and let's look at the storehouses that I have and all that I've amassed and look at all of the gold that I have and all the commodities. And this is my wealth, my riches, this is my... And the word uses kavod. He was a man of great honor and great kavod. And this is also something in this world. We look at our possessions, we look at our accomplishments, we look at our kavod. So kavod. Now here's here's the thing about glory that is interesting is that God says this. He says, for my own sake, for my very own sake, I will act. For how can I let myself be the thing? I will not yield my glory to another. And so God says, remember the garden. Remember what happened before the garden. That I was the only one that existed. All the glory is mine. And I've created you with an understanding that God is the Lord. And you will not yield it to another. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, we think, if, if you think that Christianity is about religion and tradition and rules, Please, let me get you to just pause.
pause that thinking, set it aside for a moment, and let me introduce you to something much better tonight. When God gave the Ten Commandments, He gave it because He loves His kids. And the first commandment that He gave is, You shall have no God before me. Why? Because He knows that when we put things before Him, it ends in destruction. It leads to brokenness. It leads to insecurity and to death and destruction, and it leaves us unfulfilled. So commandment number one is, you shall have no gods before me. He's saying, I get all the kavod. Okay? So what does that lead? If we give our kavod and we direct the kavod to God, how does that look? I want us to read Psalms 100. I'm going to have to get down because I can't read it. And what I want you to do is just kind of think through this with me. As you read the words, let's meditate on this for a second. And you can close your eyes or you can read it, but I want you to soak in this for just a second. The natural response to glory or to kavod is worship. So Psalms 100 says this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let me ask you, as you think through that, as, you, as those words cross your mind, do you feel a rightness about that? That place of worship in our hearts that God has designed us to walk in worship to Him as we understand Him, as we understand His attributes, as we know that He is good, as we know that He's worthy. We can say that, and there's a rightness in that. And I would just say, if I'm trying to introduce anyone to what Christianity is all about, I start by saying, Take some time to focus your attention on God. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. I'm not going to stay hidden from you. I'm not going to try to play hide and seek. I will reveal myself to you. In fact, in Romans 1, it says that all of creation reveals the glory of God. The Bible says that the skies proclaim his handiwork. We can look around us and we can see that there is something beyond us that's responsible for everything that's going on. And the good news of the Bible is that it is God and He is good. The other thing that's amazing about this, though, we're going to read Psalms 8. And in Psalms 8, this is how much God loves and believes in us and gives us the ability to partner with Him in creation. Psalms 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and when I look at the heavens at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? I can relate with that. When I get into Colorado and I'm in the mountains and there's a lightning storm going on above the mountains, I'm like, whoa. 
Who am I that I would know this amazing God that can make all of this? What is man that you're mindful of? Like that God would think about us, that God would choose to notice or to care. But then this next verse, it says, Yet you have made him, and speaking of all of us, you have made mankind a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him, man, with glory and honor. He's crowned us, and the word in that is with kavod. He's placed his glory on us. How gracious of God that he would take his, I mean, we don't deserve that. Yet he puts all of this together and he says, I'm going to create you guys and you're the pinnacle of creation. I'm going to make you in my image and I'm going to place my glory on you. It says you've given him dominion over the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on the earth. So here's the deal. God gives his glory a little bit to man. And how do we respond? So, I've got one more character that I need to introduce, and this is where it all went south. Okay? Back in the garden, Adam and Eve are living in perfect harmony with God. We understand what glory looks like. And you see that what should have been gets kind of shadowed out because now we live in a broken world. And so what we have instead of the way God designed it, when sin entered the world and our enemy, the devil, Satan, the deceiver, came into the picture. He took creation and he turned it on his head. An unfulfilled existence instead of an abundant life. Instead of perfect love, self-centered, negotiated codependency. How much do we see that in relationships? I'll give you this if you give me that. I'll make an extra sting in bacon if you show up on time. <laughs> Instead of complete joy, disappointment, discontent, temporal bliss, feels good for a moment, doesn't last. Unsatisfied. Instead of peace, imbalance, conflict, exploitation. How many relationships are characterized by that? And instead of a God who's worthy of glory, we have a self-indulgent, aggrandizing, world and unmet expectations. When we're focusing the glory on us, self-indulgent, aggrandizing. When we're focusing the glory on other people and saying, you be God in my life. You're my best friend, you're my wife, you're my girlfriend, you're my boyfriend, whatever it is. I'm looking to you to meet the needs of God alone with me. I'm going to have unmet expectations. So Satan comes in and he mucks it up. We've got, um, let me just unpack this a little bit. How sin broke the story. Children are blinded from seeing the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4 says that he kept us from understanding the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That we redirect the glory that God has given us to creation. Romans 1, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in the end there it says that although they have known, they knew God, 
they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idols. Today we might call it your career. We might call it a status or reputation. It's not just little tiki wooden carvings that you keep in your house. There's a lot of things that are idols. Instead of giving God all the glory, we redirect it to ourselves. So this story of King Hezekiah, where he made for himself treasuries and he showed it all. He gets all the glory. We've got a few minutes more, and I'm so thankful I do, because we've got the most important character. The fourth character in this deal, and the fifth character, is the best. And it's Jesus. So, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God from the beginning. And this is Jesus Christ, and this is the reason that we're here today. When Jesus came in, looking at creation through that joy, peace, love lens, he came and said, I'm going to make everything right. I'm going to restore this. I'm going to save the day. You run through the garden all the way up through the day of Christ, and all you see is brokenness. You see glimpses of redemption and glimpses of God's mercy, but throughout the Old Testament, you just see how much God is faithful and man screws it up. And we can't look back on the Old Testament folks with condemnation because you can look around us today. You can say, God, he's faithful and he's merciful, and we continue to screw it up. So God brings Jesus into the mix. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus comes in and he says, all right. Well, here's one thing I'd say. Jesus did not come to the earth and die on the cross to get you into heaven. I know that's the message that some of you might have heard, that that's the whole reason. I would say that he came to restore heaven on earth and restore the garden and bring people into right relationship with God and put God into the hearts of man so that creation could be and you get to go to heaven. That's bonus. But he restored love. And so Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, and everyone will know your disciples by the way you love one another. Are we loving one another well? In John 17, this is crazy. This is Jesus speaking to God about you and me, and he says, I in them and you in me, speaking to God, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me, that God sent Jesus and loved them, loved all of us, even as God loved Jesus. So the love that God pipes into Jesus is not corrupted by sin. It's the love God piped into Adam before the fall. And it's the love that Jesus pipes into our hearts as believers. And we have the ability to love people in the same way that God loved Adam. I don't, I don't understand that. But that's the truth. And that's the gracious God working through Jesus to change our lives. Jesus, he also came and where joy had been broken, he restored joy. This verse from Romans 15 say, may the God of all hope fill you with joy, all joy and all peace as you trust in him 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's made possible because of Christ. John 15. This is another verse like the one that I just read. But as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These I have spoken to you. Why? That your joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy. There is no place on earth that we can find or create or gen up the joy that can only come from abiding in Christ. And the good news is this. It does not take you checking all the boxes and doing all the things and working so hard to try to earn his favor. It comes through abiding. It just comes from resting in him and saying, God, I trust you. I need you. I don't have anything to offer in the equation. Reveal yourself to me and let me just rest. Let me figure out what it looks like to slow down, to cut out the hurry and the, and the hustle and to rest in you and to abide. The next thing Jesus did, he restores our peace with God. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Says God, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive in Christ even when we were dead. It's by grace that you've been saved. God raised us up with Jesus Christ, and He set us with Him in the heavenly realms. That kavod, that glory, is still placed on us through Jesus, and it's restored so that we get the opportunity to sit in the heavenly places with Him. That why? That He might display the surpassing riches of His grace. Demonstrated in kindness through Christ Jesus. This is not a guy who's saying, work hard for me and earn it and be the perfect Christian. This is a guy who's saying, I've already done all the work through Christ, and I'm going to give this to you as a gift. In addition to restoring our peace with God, Jesus also restores our peace with each other. says, my peace I give to you all. And he talks here in the second verse, I won't read the whole thing, but he talks about how his peace brings us together as one body. That we have the ability to understand a type of community, a type of love, a type of interconnectedness and interdependence that's whole and healthy and life-giving and not backstabbing and not exploiting and not self-directed. In the last bit here. Jesus restores the glory of God through his work in us. So here's the way that the glory gets fleshed out. There's a quote, I don't know who said it, but it said, the glory of God is man fully alive in him. So when we walk in the way of Jesus, when we yield our selfish, broken heart, and we realize that we can't fix ourselves, but it's a work of God that he's doing in us, he takes our brokenness and he puts it all on Christ and he replaces it with wholeness. He replaces it with healing. He replaces it with a miraculous work that brings about change in us. John 17, back to this verse of Jesus, he's saying, Jesus is saying to the Father, he says, I glorified you, meaning Jesus glorified God on earth 
having accomplished the work that God gave Jesus to do, and now, Father, glorify me, Jesus, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So that glory that existed with God was in Christ, and Jesus did the work. And I love this verse in 2 Corinthians. It says, And we all with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of God, and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I don't know where you are in that journey of transformation. You could be just looking at it from the outside in and saying, Jesus, I'm not sure if I get this. I'm not even sure if I believe. You could be to the point that you said, I made a decision at some point in time and I, I claim to be a Christian, but my life is wrecked and I don't feel like I'm transformed at all or I'm early on in the process and it's hard for me to shake off the burdens, the addiction, the insecurities, the things that have beset. You could be walking with God for 50 years and you're still in process because we never get to the end. But the Bible promises in Philippians 1 that God will be faithful and he will complete that work that he began in us. That this glory will be complete. It's his work. It's not ours. We just are along for the ride and we get out of the way and let him do that work in us. So going back to the first question that we asked, the promise of Jesus, I, came, I have come, or I came that you may have life and to have it abundantly. If you are here today and you do not know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if there's something that is, we're talking through these things, you're like, man, I can relate with that. I've got brokenness in my life that seems to hold me back from experiencing this abundant life, this complete joy, the peace, the shalom. My idea of love is corrupted. I, I've not been loved well by others. I don't love other people well. If that's going on in your world, welcome to the club. You're in good company. Because every single person here is experiencing the lack. We're not in the garden, but we know that that's what our heart desires. And we're looking forward to that. And I would just say that we have an amazingly gracious Father who does not care about your sin. He has already dealt with your sin. The cross was complete. It dealt with everything. So when I say God doesn't care, I'm not saying that he's never cared. I'm saying he already dealt with that. Jesus offers you an opportunity to come to him and just to release and just to say, God, I'm done trying to do it on my own. I want to know you. I want to take you at your word at this promise that you will reveal yourself to me and I am seeking and I'm looking and I'm saying yes, I'm on board with this journey. And if that's you, you're welcome here. That's where we all are. We're going to go into a uh, last uh, worship song today. As we sing through this, um, here's what I'd invite you to do. Is process through this. Process through what does it mean to have an abundant life? Are there areas that God has identified that the Holy Spirit has kind of highlighted in your heart where you're saying, I need to do some business with God on that? 
Are there ways that, um, that you're saying, hey, I've never made a decision to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord, and I want to do that today. And if that's you, we've got folks that would love to just pray with you, tell you what the Bible says, get you on a journey of growing in Christ.